almost feel like there's been enough preaching today. What do you think? Do you want me to do it? I like you. I like you. That that boy's going somewhere. Anyway, I do have a message. Uh, God has a message for you. Um, We're going to go to his word. and, And these words in the Bible, you know, the God who first spoke them is still speaking them today. These words are living and active. God wants to speak to you something that's going to reveal to you more about himself. It's going to give you what you need to shape you that you might know God's good purpose for your life this morning. So my prayer is that all of us, that uh, we can come to God's word and we can listen to what God has to uh, share to us. We might listen, that we might hear, that we might respond with faith. So I'm going to preach. One of the most stressful things uh, I've done in my whole life is shop for an engagement ring. Fellas, remember that? I had never given a ring a thought in my whole life, and then all of a sudden I fall head over heels in love with this girl, and all of a sudden I've got to think about diamonds? You know, I knew that one guy at Providence at the Bible College, his wife was really godly and said he didn't want, she didn't want him to spend all that money on a diamond. I was kind of worldly, so he just, she just wanted him to go and like, put that quarter in that machine and get one of those little rings that comes out for a quarter and that would be good enough. Yeah, my wife didn't think like that. (laughs) My wife deserves a diamond. I wanted to give her the best, something that she could be proud of, reflect my love for her, but I didn't know anything about diamonds. So it was kind of a crash course in what diamonds are all about. And I found out that uh, there, there's three C's to, to the, the quality of a diamond. Do you remember this? Three C's, cut, color, and clarity. Some of you single guys, you need to just be taking notes right now. Cut, you know, it's all about just the shape of the diamond and how it's cut with the different faces that increase its brilliance. That was the first C. And then the second one was color, right? Different diamonds have different colors and and some are clearer. They're more pure in their color and their coloration. And so they graded diamond's purity by cut. They they graded diamond's purity by by its color. And then they also graded diamond's uh, purity by its clarity. Because some diamonds have spots in them, little blemishes, maybe called carbon spots, right? And if a diamond has these spots in them, well, it really, the diamond doesn't shine as much as it could, right? It limits the brilliance of, of the diamond. It's not as pure as it could be. I, I remember when I was working at the insurance company, on a number of occasions, ladies coming in concerned because their, their diamond didn't look like what they remembered it looking like. They had taken it, you know, to get worked on, maybe a claw fixed or cleaned, and then it came back, and that just didn't look like their diamond. It wasn't as shiny. It wasn't as brilliant. They were concerned, and on a number of occasions, sure enough, they went and checked, and their diamond had actually been replaced with a lower quality diamond, something that wasn't as pure You know, it had spots in it. This morning, uh, we're not going to talk about the purity of diamonds and the brilliance of diamonds, but Jesus is going to talk about our purity as we continue in this series. We've called the Upside Down Kingdom. What we're doing over these weeks is we're looking at the characteristics of the kingdom of God that Jesus came to earth to establish. And I keep saying it over and over again. Jesus didn't come here just so that you could ask him into your heart and you could wait till he 
you know, beams you up to a better place. Jesus came to establish his kingdom on earth that we might begin, begin living in the kingdom here and now, and that begins in the church. The people who know and follow Jesus Christ. And so we want to know what does the kingdom of God look like? What does it look like to live out the ways of the kingdom in our lives today? Jesus gave us these eight really helpful statements, short statements that describe the characteristics of the kingdom of God. We have them at the beginning of Matthew chapter 5 when Jesus begins this great message that we call the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to look at the sixth of these blessings. They're called the Beatitudes, which is Latin for blessing. We're going to look at the sixth blessing, but just to bring us up to speed, we're going to start at chapter 5, verse 1 of Matthew, when it says, Jesus saw the crowds, and he went up to a mountainside, and he sat down, and his disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, and he said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed, Jesus says, are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And that's what we looked at last week. And then where we're going to settle here this morning, Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Do you want to see God? Jesus says, if you want to see God, you need to be pure in heart. Now, what does that mean? Like, maybe some of you know the story of Camelot and the Holy Grail. There was this vision of, of the Grail, and these knights, the knights of the round table, went on this mission. But the only person in this vision that it, 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 it was decreed, the only person that could actually find the Grail was he that had a pure heart. What does it mean to have a pure heart? Like, I don't know what you feel when you read that, but I go, that seems impossible to me. Like these other Beatitudes, the ones we've looked at so far, okay, I can get that. Blessed are the poor in spirit. I think I can do that, poor in spirit. You know, mourn, to mourn, yeah, that's me. Hunger and thirst for righteousness, yeah, I can strive to do that. Yeah, I can show mercy. It seems more like this is something attainable that I can do, but blessed are the pure in heart. To me, I hear that, and I go, that seems impossible to me. What does that mean? It's not impossible. It's something that God calls us to, and what I want us to see this morning uh, is answers to three questions. Why the heart? What does Jesus mean when he says heart? Why the heart? What does it mean to be pure? And how do the pure in heart see God? How do they see God? What does that mean? So those are the three questions I want us to look at and try to answer this morning. So why the heart? You see, Jesus seems to always be talking about the heart. It seems that in the kingdom of God, it's the heart that matters most. We might put it this way, in the world, the world is the way of outward appearances, but in God's kingdom, it's all about the inward attitudes of the heart. Jesus was often taking to task those religious leaders, those teachers of the law, who focused on their outward appearances, and we find this in Matthew chapter 23, uh, verses 25 and 28. Jesus says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and the Pharisees, you hypocrites! What's a hypocrite? It's like, you say one thing and then you do another thing. You appear to be one thing, but you're really another thing. On Sunday you're this, but on Monday you're that. You're two different things. 
Woe to you, he says, you hypocrites, you clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgent. You blind Pharisee. First clean the inside of the cup and the dish, and then the outside will be clean as well. He says, if you want to truly be clean, you got to clean the inside. You can't just be about behavior modification, trying to do the right things and be the right person on the outside. It all begins in your heart because your heart, Jesus will show us, is the true you. It has to begin in your heart. Going through this, uh, some material with my discipleship group on Thursdays, came across this statement, and I don't know who said it, but I liked it. Someone said this, watch your thoughts, for they become words. Watch your words, for they become actions. Watch your actions, for they become habits. Watch your habits, for they become character. Watch your character, for it becomes your destiny. He says the direction you take your future, if you trace it all back, it begins with the thoughts of your heart, what happens on the inside. So Jesus was always talking about the heart, saying everything flows from the heart. God isn't just interested in what you do on the outside. He said, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery, but I tell you, anyone who's lust after a woman in their heart has committed adultery. You've heard it said, don't commit murder, but anyone who's hated a brother in their heart has committed murder. God is interested in the heart because what's on the inside eventually works its way to the outside. Now, we use the word heart today, and and we have an impression of what that means. We, we, we normally think of it as the place of emotions and feelings. So some of you guys, you might be like, my wife is the heart person. I'm more the head person, if I'm honest. You know, she's more the emotive, touchy-feely one. I, I'm just kind of a bit more of the, the logical, rational, intellectual guy. She's more the heart person, and I'm more the head person. That's not what Jesus means when he talks about the heart. When the Bible talks about the heart, it's talking about the true you. It's talking about that combination of your your desires, your beliefs, your fundamental beliefs, your core values, your very identity, who you think you are. That's your heart. It's the center of your personality, the true you, which so we, we, we sometimes use it that way. I might say to my wife, Erica, you have my heart. Have I ever told that to you? <laughs> well, let me say it right now. <laughs> you have my heart. Almost 16 years of marriage. You think I would have said something like that before now? I, I probably just use different words, like I'm hungry, get me another sandwich, or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> Same thing. Um, I love my wife. And you might say to your spouse, you have my heart. What does that mean? It doesn't mean you just have that, my emotions. It means you've got all of me. That's what it means when you say you have my heart. Like there's not a part of me that exists that you don't have. Because my heart is me. It's the core of me. You have my heart. That's what Jesus means when he's talking about our heart. Your heart is who you are when no one else is looking. Your heart is what God sees that maybe no one else sees. 
And this is why Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, he says, listen, you can speak in the, in, in, in the tongues of angels and of men, but if you do not have love, you're nothing. I mean, you can give all you have to the poor and surrender your body to the flames, and you can have faith that moves mountains, but if you do not have love, you're nothing. Because God is interested in the heart because that's the true you. And so Samuel said back in the Old Testament when, when God was picking a king for Israel, he said God does not look at outward appearances. He looks at the heart. That's what he's concerned with. Changing our heart, having our heart. And it's not that he's not concerned about our actions, how we live that out. But what Jesus said is if you clean the inside of the cup, the outside will be clean too. So Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart. What does it mean to be pure? You know, over the years, I'm kind of the grocery shopper in the house. I don't know if this ever happened to you. My wife will give me a list. She writes the list, and then I go shopping. And sometimes on that list is cranberry juice. You know, Normally when someone has a urinary infection in our house, we, uh, sorry to go there, but you know, it's like cranberry juice. And I sh- probably shouldn't have said that. That should have been like the, it should have been one of those inside. Follow the notes. What does the note say? Just. Okay. Cranberry juice. I'm gonna have to, can I catch a ride home with anyone here after the service, please? Uh, so anyway, over the years, I've had to buy cranberry juice a few times, and I'll come home, and she'll be like, I told you to buy cranberry juice. She says it in a much more loving voice. But, but I said, I did buy cranberry juice. Here it says cranberry. She says, look at the ingredients. Number one, apple juice. Number two, pear juice. Cranberry juice, oh, it's in there, but it's like number six on the list, right? So I had to learn. What word do you need to look for when you're grocery shopping? Pure. Not uh, cranberry juice. I'm looking for pure cranberry juice. Because you pull that, you look at it on the side, and it just has one ingredient, cranberry juice. I feel like I've maybe lost some people here. I just... (laughs) <laughs> you know, you get all those uh, kids went out trick-or-treating, pillowcase full of candy. As a good dad, you help them out because you don't want them to get diabetes, right? <laughs> all these little gummies, real fruit, natural flavors. Yeah, sure, there's a little bit of that. And you turn, and then there's artificial flavors, right? And there's other things in there. That word pure is so important, right? Pure, all 100%. What does it mean to be pure? It means of one thing. Of one thing. Okay? That's what it means to be pure. And so we kind of see this in the book of James, that little book at the end of the Bible, when James is, is he's kind of taking the church to task a little bit. And this is what he says in verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 8. He says, Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. So purity has, is, is the opposite then of being double-minded. Right? And if you look at the context of uh, James chapter 4 there, you, you, you kind of get a sense of what he's talking about. He talks a bit more about this. 
He says, and he uses the language of marriage. We're gonna come back to this a little bit. He says in verse four, you adulterous people, you don't, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. He's saying you can't really walk that line. You can't be this and that, face this way and that way. What does he mean? You can't put your, put your, find your security in God and find your security in money. You're double-minded, okay? You can't live to please God and live to please and impress your friends at school, okay? That's double-minded, he says. You need to purify your hearts. You need to be one, have one undivided heart. Jesus kind of unpacks this too a little bit uh, later in his Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter six. These are familiar words to many of you, but Matthew six, verse 19, uh, Jesus says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, Jesus says. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? And then he finishes, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So in this context, he uses that other master as money, but it could be anything. Life has a whole bunch of masters. He says you cannot devote yourself to two masters. And he uses this analogy, if we go back here, to the eye. The, if your eyes are healthy, Jesus says, your whole body will be full of light. Now that word healthy is actually the word single. If your eyes are single, you will see. If your eyes are double, you'll be full of darkness. You're not gonna see well. And so, I mean, some of you have glasses like me. I think we understand this, this principle. Right? I remember when for a year, I didn't know how bad my eyesight was. I just knew things were fuzzy and I was getting headaches. Finally, my wife, who loves me dearly and is very forgiving. Have I told you how forgiving she is? She's very forgiving. And she, she finally convinced me to go get my eyes checked out. And sure enough, I've got, I had bad eyesight. I didn't know how bad. And so they, they gave me glasses. I remember that drive home from Winnipeg, driving down to Niverville. I was like seeing for the first time. Trees have leaves on them, and I could see the leaves, and everything was clear, and I can't believe that I was going years without this. I didn't know, but now, I can, why? Because my eyes, it's corrected my vision, so now that both my eyes are focused on the same thing, and when both eyes are focused on one thing, you see clear, but if your eyes are fo- have a different focus, if your two eyes are fixed on two different points, you see double vision. Everything gets blurry. You don't see good. And so Jesus is just using this analogy and talking about the eyes of our heart. How the eyes of our heart need to be single, not double. That we need to be devoted to one thing, one master. That word devoted, I think, is an important word. To be pure in heart is to be devoted to God, to focus on the one thing, and in, in the kingdom, it's, it's to focus on the glory of God, that our purpose is, and all we do is to seek God's glory in everything. And so, 
That, that word devoted is, is, is an important word for the kingdom because the way of the kingdom is the way of devotion Jesus is showing us to be all in, but the way of the world is the way of moderation. The opposite of devotion might be moderation. Now, you know, it's, it's not, moderation isn't bad in some ways. Like to, to be, to, moderation in your alcohol consumption is probably a good thing. Moderation is, you know, the, the, is, is to not have excess or extreme. Right, so if you're devoted to alcohol, it's probably a bad thing. Moderation, politically, that's maybe, you know, what does it mean to be a moderate? I mean, we live in a world where there's lots of people far that way, far that way, and, and then you, they talk about the center, the moderate. What does that mean? It means I'm a little bit of this, and I'm a little bit of that, and I'm in the middle, kind of. I'm a moderate. And so that's maybe not even a bad thing. But what Jesus is saying is in the kingdom with our lives, the orientation of our lives, he says we need to not embrace moderation but devotion because, you know, the world would like us as Christians to be moderate. Right? To, don't take that too seriously. Like what kind of Christian is that person? Is he like one of those kind of like crazy Christians? Or like just kind of one of those Normal people. I don't know what words they might use, but it's sort of saying, are, are they devoted? Like, is everything in their life about that one thing? Or, you know, do they leave that there on Sunday and come here on Monday, and then they go and they pick that up on that other day, and they can kind of do different things, have different minds, have different hearts. The world would love for us to be Moderates, But Jesus says in the kingdom of God, we're called to be devoted to him, pure in heart. In fact, Jesus said in the book of Revelation, these words to the church in Laodicea, you see it um, in Revelation chapter 3. Jesus is talking to this church, and he says, he says, I know your deeds that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Ooh, those are harsh words. I always used to think that, that what, what Jesus meant was, I want you either to be hot for God, all in, or like really cold towards God, cold-hearted. Like just make up your mind, are you all in or are you all out? Don't be in the middle. That's not what he's saying. I mean, that might not even be not true, but that's not what he's saying. He's, just, he's talking about drinking a beverage, right? And I love coffee. And many of you love coffee. I like my coffee one of two ways. I like my coffee really hot or I like my coffee iced. I like it cold. That tastes good. But lukewarm coffee? You ever tried to drink that cup you, you left on your shelf at eight? You brewed it at eight and it's noon and you're like, it's maybe still good. Right? That's terrible. Lukewarm coffee? Some of you, you, you drink tepid lukewarm water. Why do you do that? The Bible says not to do that. <laughs> it says right there, Revelation 3. Spit it out of your mouth. <laughs> what he's saying is, don't be a moderate. Be devoted to God. Be all about the, the, the one. Be singular. 
be singular in your focus because the way of the kingdom is to be devoted to God. And Jesus gives us a parable to illustrate this point. We find it in Matthew chapter 13. Some of Jesus' parables that we've looked at over this series have been long and they're colorful and interesting. Lots of detail. These are two parables that are each like a verse. They're very short. Jesus says in Matthew 13, he says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, he went and he sold all he had and he bought that field so he could have that treasure. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and he sold everything he had and he bought that pearl of great value. What is Jesus saying here? Well, he's not saying if you're gonna follow Jesus to be in the kingdom, you need to sell all your stuff. You just need to get rid of it, you know? That, that, that motorbike and the cottage and all those things, you just need to, you gotta put, you gotta put your video game system on, on Kijiji, like just get rid of it all. Some people, they've interpreted the verse that way, right? It's, it's, okay, I guess, you know, I can't marry, I gotta devote myself fully to God, you know, 24-7, so I, I'm, I'm going to, you know, not have a family and I'm gonna get rid of all my stuff and I'm gonna move to the, to the mountains and I'm gonna live in that old, that old building and I'm gonna chant and I'm gonna have silence, and I'm gonna study, and I'm gonna devote my life to God. That's not what he's talking about, that sort of devotion, when he says he sold everything so he could have the treasure. What Jesus is saying is that this person now had one singular mission in life, one purpose to which everything else in their life was now gonna serve. Everything they had now was gonna be used and employed by that person to do to pursue that one thing a singular focus. That's what Jesus is saying. That's what the kingdom of heaven is like. And what is that singular purpose? The singular purpose of our lives, for those of us who have believed in and know and follow Jesus Christ, is to live our whole lives for his glory. Everything we do, our money, our relationships, our time, our work, everything at its foundation has a singular purpose to enjoy God and to glorify him in all we do. That's what it means to be devoted to God, a singular purpose. And so this is what I want us to hear, that purity is not about perfection, it's about purpose. It's not about sinlessness, but it's about singleness. Okay, because you read that and you go, I can't be pure in heart, I'm a sinner. I have temptation, I stumble, I fall. That's not what Jesus is talking about. Even Paul acknowledged that. Romans chapter seven, Paul says, all the things I wanna do, I don't do, and the things I don't wanna do, I find myself doing. Oh, woe is me, who's gonna rescue me from this body of death? But thanks be to, to God who gives me freedom and life in Jesus Christ. And so well, what Paul is saying is, you know what, I've got these desires, these core desires at the root of my being, and I still find myself stumbling and sinning. But he, but he said, in all of these things, he had one purpose. He had one desire for his life, serving, glorifying God as the goal So it's not about sinlessness. I mean, the Bible even says if a man claims to be without sin, he deceives himself. It's about a singleness of purpose. Does your life have a singleness of purpose? Are you living with a united heart? Are you living with a divided heart? You know, Soren Kierkegaard, great Danish philosopher, about 200 years ago, he wrote a book, and the name of the book was um, Purity of Heart is to Will the One Thing. 
And that, that's, he's got it. That's what Jesus is saying. Purity of heart is to will the one thing, that everything we have is focused on a common purpose. So the prayer of our heart, and I hope this is a prayer that we can pray and take with us into this week, we, we find in, in Psalm 86, unite my heart to fear your name. That's the cry of the pure in heart. Lord, unite my heart to fear. May everything I am, everything I have, everything I do be aligned towards this one goal. How do the pure in heart see God? That's not so easy to answer. I mean, I read this week and there's, there's, there's maybe some different ideas out there. Maybe they're all true. I mean, it might simply mean that we see God because we're looking for God. If both of your eyes are trained and fixed on that, one pur- on that one purpose, then you will see God because you're looking for God. You're gonna see God in history and you're gonna see God in nature and you're gonna see God in the experiences of your life and in your day and you're gonna recognize his presence and his working and his provision and all of that because you're looking. Maybe that's what it means, but I wonder if it doesn't mean more than that that the pure in heart will see God. You know, if you call the doctor's office and say, I'd like to see Dr. Smith, what does the receptionist say? Okay, we'll just log on to the website. His profile's on there. There's a picture. You can see him. If someone says, Rusty, I'd like to see you, what does that mean? Go to newlifesonwell.com. There's a, a picture of me, highly edited, actually, but it's, there's a picture of me there on, on... No, it's not about... When we say we want to see... The doc, what do we mean? It's like, it means that we want to experience the benefits of their care, the benefits of their power, the benefits of their knowledge. We want to see the doctor. Jesus says those who are devoted in heart, pure in heart, will see God. When your heart is devoted to God, you will experience the, the, the reality of God's blessings in your life in the way you will not if your heart is divided. That's why this guy in this parable, when he found the treasure, he sold all he had, and it wasn't for him drudgery, and it, or it wasn't guilt, and it wasn't duty. What was it? Joy. In joy, he went out and he sold all he had. because he had found something better. For him, it was an exercise in joy to be devoted to God because that's the pathway to experience God's transforming power and presence in our lives. The peace, the hope, the joy, all the things that God gives. But here's what I've discovered. You won't find joy in what you're not committed to. This is the problem. People are trying to wait till they find joy in something before they commit themselves to that thing. And what they don't understand is you've got it backwards. And this is what we're now actually finding out in marriage. Right? Why would I get married to someone I haven't lived with? That's like buying a car without test driving it. It doesn't make any sense. Humanly speaking, I want to find joy in it, and then I can commit myself to it. What they're finding, though, is it doesn't work that way. Statistically, actually, if you cohabitate and then you get married, you have a far higher 
chance of divorce than if you didn't cohabitate before you married. It's just stats. What does it mean? It means you won't find joy in what you're not committed to. A lack of devotion will lead to a dissatisfaction. So in marriage, I would say the benefits of marriage come after you're totally committed to the marriage. It's when you're all in, that's when you experience the best. It's not like, I'll see if it's good and then I'll decide whether I'm committed. I am committed and it's out of that commitment that the joy comes. Because that's how it works. And this is what Jesus is saying. When we are devoted to God, we will experience, we will see God. We will see him if we have an undivided heart, if we are all in. This is why Jesus says in John chapter 14, just one verse, and I'll kind of bring this to an end here. John 14, Jesus says, uh, verse 21, whoever has my commands and keeps them, he it is who loves me. So, right, so the keeping of the commands flows from a, a heart that loves. Your actions flow from your heart. The one who loves me, Jesus says, will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. They that love me and keep my commands, I will show myself to them. Jesus says, they will see me. They will see all the benefits of my power and my presence when they are devoted. Purity is not about perfection. It's about purpose. Not sinless, but, but having a single purpose. And Jesus says, happy are the devoted. Happy are the devoted. So what does this mean for you? Two things I just want to suggest to you as we bring this to a close, as you go into your week. Here's a question I think that you should spend some time asking yourself and praying. Is your heart divided or devoted as a follower of Jesus? Is it divided or devoted? Is, is there something going on in your life? Is there another, is there some, is there another purpose? Is there something that's keeping your heart from being single? That's an important question. Is your heart divided or devoted? And here's something I'd like to suggest that you do. Maybe even today when you go home and have lunch around the table, maybe you're gonna be with your family, and I think this would be a great family exercise around your table. If you came in, I hope you got a, or when you came in, I hope you got a card like this. If you didn't get a card, there's more on your way out or at the Welcome Center. It says my purpose statement. You know what? As a church, we have a purpose statement. If something is important, you define its purpose. Right? So the purpose, you know, we have a, and you all know it. You know, the, you know the mission statement of New Life Church. The mission of New Life Church is to the mission of New Life Church is to make disciples. So that we, we write it down. We look at it. We reference it so that we know that we're doing what we should be doing. The mission of New Life Church is to make disciples who experience new life in Jesus Christ and who express new life to one another and extend new life to those who don't yet know God. That's the mission of New Life Church. We've defined it. We've written it down. We look at it. I, I have a friend uh, here in the church. He has a business in the city, and, and 
He showed me uh, a while back a purpose statement he'd written for his business, and it's just dripping with Jesus, right? The purpose of his business, at the end of the day, it's not profit. It's not like making clients happy. At the end of the day, all of that uh, has a purpose of glorifying God. And it's just spelled out right there, and he hangs it on his wall, and he looks at it every day when he comes into his office. Yeah, what about our lives? This is what I encourage you to do. I want you to go home, whether you do this individually or whether you do this as a family, make a family mission statement, spend some time thinking about it, talking about it, and I would like you to write down a mission statement for your life. What is it? What is that one purpose? Write it down, define it, put it somewhere where you're going to see it every day because Jesus said, you cannot be my disciple unless you pick up your cross and carry it daily. Daily. This is something that we have to focus on every single day, live lives of devotion to God with an undivided heart. And so let's just start that conversation right now before we close with our final song, why don't you bow your head? And I want to give you a moment to pray and talk with God. And just to begin this conversation, so why don't you just take a moment and first of all say, God, thank you that you sent your son Jesus Christ and he was perfectly pure. He was without blemish and he died on that cross as a sacrifice for me, a blemished person. that I might be right with God, not through my efforts, my works, but through Him. Just, that's an awesome thing. Just take a moment to thank God for Jesus and His sinlessness on your behalf. Take a moment and uh, say to God, God, I want to be united in my heart to fear your name. Lord, give me a united heart. Show me if in my life there is any division, if there's any double-mindedness. I'm trying to find my security in different places or please different people. Lord, give me a united heart. continue that prayer as you go into your week Father God we love you you have been so generous and merciful to us Lord you've come and you've done it all for us this morning we don't have to like work hard to earn our place into your good books to receive your favor to have eternal life to be forgiven of our sin all we have to do is stop trusting in ourselves and trusting in what Jesus has done on our behalf We thank you, God, that you have done all the work for us. We can receive that life through faith. But Lord, we want to walk in your blessing. We want to see your power at work in our lives. We want to know true joy and true peace and hope and health. And so, Father, I just pray that as we go from here, you might show us how we can live with a singular focus, how we can will 
the one thing, Father, and if there's anywhere in our life where we are being double-minded, divided in our heart, Lord, I just pray that you give us the ability to focus our eyes on you and live for your glory alone in all things. We might see you and live that life of joy that you offer to us. In Jesus' name, amen.